welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Robert Paris. He is the CEO of Myelin Leadership International and a recognized pioneer in applying the fundamentals of neuroscience to leadership and management. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Um, Robert, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have him on. He and I have known each other a couple of years, and he's recognized as, he recognized as a pioneer in applying fundamental principles of neuroscience to the management and leadership. He has a certificate in the Foundations of Neuroleadership, which applies emerging knowledge of the brain to sports and business. He has recently developed groundbreaking programs in leadership, coaching, team building, and innovations that incorporate emerging knowledge of the brain to awaken more of the brain's resources to enable people to expand perspectives, talk more authentically, and create rare moments of insight with remarkable results. So I met Robert in, which city were we in, Robert? <laughs> I know it's well, in Canada. We, in Montreal. Oh, Montreal, okay. Yes. I was at a spy meeting there at the Scoliosis Research Society. And we met for lunch, but we had been interacting quite a bit before that. And he had become aware of my process. I became aware of his input. And we just had a great conversation at lunch there. And so I've asked Robert to talk to us today. He has a company called, is it Mylan Leadership, Robert? Correct. Okay. And he does consulting with people. And what I've asked him to do, he's going to spend this first podcast really talking about his concept of leadership and how they're different than the traditional ways of leadership and teaching. And then we're going to talk in the second podcast about the actual techniques that he uses. So Robert, welcome to the podcast and we're excited to have you. I'm excited to uh, be here. It's great that we've reconnected here at David. So I look forward to this. So can you just give us a couple minutes of background of how you arrived at your process? Well, I, I, I did, and um, I, I think there's two aspects to that. Um, I was involved in, in business. I'm kind of like a marketing guy for the first 12 years of my career. And uh, you know, for 12 years, I was groomed on the fact that it's really great if you, you know, have a record sales and profits and market share and all of that. And that, you know, that was supposed to lead to fulfillment, except that it didn't. And 12 years into my career, I, I realized that that's how I, that's not how I get my jollies, so to speak. So I went through career planning and then I, I really um, understood that what I enjoyed in life was developing other people and working with other people. And that's really what's, what was the start of my business. It wasn't Mylan at the time. It was under a different name, my own name, but it was really based on, on that concept that there has to be more uh, to business than just sales and profits, that it was all about people. So I think that was the uh, f first thing. But the second thing is I went through a personal um, crusade, and I think you and I in the past have talked about this, where I went through a fairly rough childhood where I had a very domineering father that led to a lot of self-confidence issues that made me suffer in all aspects of my life, from academic to social to other you know, sectors of, of life, so to speak. And so I eventually started learning about my brain and myself, right, and decided that I wanted to go into business, into the leadership business, so that nobody would have to suffer what I did as a kid. 
So a lot of leadership in my mind is self-leadership. It's understanding yourself. It's being aware of yourself before you lead others. Right. I mean, you know, I've talked about this extensively. Of course, I had a rough childhood too. And I think many people, I don't know what percent that would be, tend to quote, go in a leadership role to compensate for their lack of feeling good about themselves. Is that a fair statement? Oh, there's no uh, ifs, what's, buts about it. I think people go into leadership positions for the wrong reasons, for status, for money, for power, all of these things. And, and eventually that catches up to, to them because, because that's all fake, a fake. And others will see that. I think uh, I'm a big proponent, as you know, of authentic leadership, right? right. Where leaders who basically uh, take a look at, at their people and they admit, I don't know it all that I've made mistakes, that I need right. your help, that shows some vulnerability. To me, that's what courageous and authentic leadership is all about. Right. No, I think the most courageous leadership thing you can do is just saying, I'm sorry. And that doesn't happen that often. Right? I mean, that's sort of the right. essence of what you're saying. You, you, because when you say you're sorry, it means you admit you're wrong. You're being very vulnerable at that point in time. But we'll get to that in a second. I just want to go back into, before we get into this, um, what you think leadership is from your perspective, and you and I happen to be pretty close on this, if not the same, is well, how did you, when did the neuroscience come into this? When did you start incorporating the neuroscience into your leadership concepts? Well, I've been uh, in business uh, for around 30 years now. And around seven, eight years ago, um, I started doing some reading about the brain. And I heard about this field called neuroleadership that applies recent knowledge of the brain to leading others. And I said, well, wait a sec, it's all about the brain. Well, as you know, everything that we do, every decision we make is all about the brain. So I've always tried to keep ahead of the curve in my business. And I decided I've got to get into this. So I started reading. In fact, one, once at Christmas, went down south of Florida, was on the beaches of Florida. And instead of reading romance novels or mystery novels, I had six books about the brain. Everybody thought I was crazy. Uh, so I, I learned about the brain and then I got certified by the Neuroleadership Institute and the foundations of neuroleadership. And that changed my life uh, six years ago where I started developing coaching and team development uh, programs all about learning about the brain. Where is that located at? What, what organization is that? Well, it's the Neuroleadership Institute. Uh, it, they're global okay. uh, and they work with organizations all over the world. I think okay. they have uh, big offices in New York and London and somewhere in Australia. Okay, fantastic. So can you, I'd like to really hear the audience, have the audience hear about your concept of authentic leadership. First of all, what the, current, what the traditional concepts are versus your take on it now and how it's evolved. Okay, well, I, I think at its core, the most basic uh, definition of leadership is basically inspiring a group of people to achieve common objectives towards the betterment um, you know, of some group of people or even a, a, of society. And I think that still goes today. But where we've come from that definition, which probably dates 50 years or so, is that, as I said before, we have to understand ourselves before we lead others because so many people have defective brain messages that lead them astray in adulthood. And, and often these messages uh, right to emanate from childhood. Uh, it could be the result of parenting or in adolescent years from you know, teachers who, who um, berated them or bad um, 
um, instances in the schoolyard, all kinds of things that lead to these hidden messages that become unconsciously buried in the brain that leads to self-defeating behaviors in adulthood. So how do you lead other people when you have these defective brain messages in your brain that are leading yourself astray? So I think where neuroleadership is and where my practice has gone is really um, helping people identify what these self-defeating messages are in the brain so that you can take control of your brain. Because I firmly believe when I ask most people, are you in control of your brain? Most people will say, well, of course I am. And you and I, David, both know that that couldn't be further from the truth. Right. So I think an essential part of leadership is understanding yourself. And that's what authentic leadership is. It's doing a deep dive into understanding yourself and your stories and who you are and what your motivations are to lead and getting a grip on that before you actually go out and lead others and, and teams and organizations. Well, there's one factor that you and I both agree on that's really, really different is that when we say embedded messages in the brain, it's like an athlete learning a skill or a musician learning how to play an instrument at a very advanced level is repetition these concepts become embedded in your brain and they are permanent. You can't get rid of them. So the more they exist in your brain, the stronger they get, the more you resist them, the stronger they get. And I have one person on my round table, for instance, who says, you know, I'm 74 years old and I still hear my mother's voice in my head and I know better. But the unconscious brain processes about 20 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain processes 40, it's 20 million versus 40. So these deeply embedded messages do run your life and I don't know exactly how you feel about this word psychology. I mean, the mental threat and physical threats are processed in the same way, but the response of the body is physiological, not psychological. So we talk about these embedded circuits. It's like learning math or learning how to read or write. Really, that's not psychological, just how the brain is. It's a programming issue. Is that a fair statement? It is. It, 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 it really is. And unfortunately, I think that, uh, too many people, when they understand what I do and they hear the word psychology or whatever, it's too easy kind of to uh, brush off to say this is psychology or something that's kind of airy-fairy. And I think what we bring, what you and I bring, what I bring in terms of the field of leadership is that there's really um, no such thing as really psychology. As you said, David, it's all based on the brain and it's all based on the body, right? Our brain is this neurochemical mix and electric and uh, electrical mix where, where we have positive neurochemicals and negative that are turned on or off. And that in the end impacts how we think, how we behave and act towards others. So you're quite right. It's actually quite physiological. And I think that's a critical message to get out there to people. I want to pick up on the word that you mentioned earlier, the word vulnerable about sharing who you are and being open to these circuits being there, because first of all, every human being has them. But what's actually hit me the last six weeks, which has been huge, and I've actually intellectually known this about for a while, is that in nature, in life in general, there is no rewards for being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. If you are vulnerable in nature, you die. And the species of creatures that survived were not vulnerable. So there's no survival advantage of being vulnerable. Well, and, right? Yeah, yeah, sorry, go on. So what happens, humans have a problem that we have language. So we have the luxury of being vulnerable and not being eaten or destroyed. But since emotional pain hurts the same way as physical pain, if you're vulnerable with somebody and they break that trust, then of course it hurts. So then also being vulnerable to your own negative thoughts and emotion hurts. 
So we separate from these things. So you've mentioned several times the S so it's ironic, the essence of survival is anger and frustration of being tough, but the essence of humor <clears throat> human relationships was your family colleagues or your or coworkers or your employees is actually being vulnerable and aware. So awareness and vulnerability are the essence of relationships, but it's not compatible with survival. But again, since emotional pain and physical pain are processed the same way, we still stuff the emotional pain. And so we don't know how to, so it's not that we don't want to give up our anger. We don't have the capacity to be vulnerable. Yes, Dave, I, I, I think what you're saying is so important. Uh, and that's the state of the art of leadership. It's actually um, showing vulnerability. I mean, Brene Brown has been involved with this for a long time. But what's so interesting, I, I, interesting I've been involved in, in the business sector for a long time. I'm getting into the sports sector now, talking to a lot of people. And really, there's this macho culture that exists there that almost denies the existence of emotions. And in fact, says that when you are expressing emotions or even empathy, that that's a sign of weakness, right? So in working with, with these business people and in working with athletes, we get them to understand, A, that, you know what, the brain is actually highly emotional. In fact, it's the emotional part of our brain that directs our behavior, right? So we might as well get over this fallacy that the expression of emotions is a sign of weakness. Right. As you've uh, said, I think you taught me uh, originally, it goes against our evolutionary biology, uh, first of all, to get in touch with our stories, because that causes pain. But second, uh, secondarily, to tell our stories, because you're right, that makes us vulnerable, which goes against everything we're biologically wired to do. Right. However, once we start to, and I think that's what we're doing in neuroleadership, once people actually understand how the brain works, that it's all about survival, that their brains are highly emotional in nature, and that emotions are processed subconsciously and yet drive their behavior, once they have that base understanding, then they start to say, well, maybe this is a good thing. And I can tell you in working with leaders who have gotten in touch with those stories and have started expressing them, in other words, showing vulnerability, but publicly expressing their stories in each and every case, they say it's the most liberating thing that they could do because they're stripping away the mask, stripping away the armor, they're being real. And that's a win for them, but it's also a win for others because we want to follow people who are authentic, who are like us, who are human. And uh, that I, I think that's such a great development that we're able to teach people how their brains work, that the brain is emotional, and they're starting to tell their, their, their stories and realize that vulnerability, it's not weakness, it's strength. Well, also be careful here because people, um, talk about being vulnerable to put yourself in a situation where you do get hurt. Okay, so it's really clear in my mind that you put yourself self in a situation where there's a risk of being hurt, but if a given person hurts you or you know they're going to hurt you, that makes no sense. In other words, if, if I'm, I'm your colleague and I share something with you, then you use that information to take it up the line and actually trash my job, you broke a trust. So two things can happen. First of all, I shouldn't trust you again. That would make no sense. Yes. So, but the thing that people do, especially in relationships, that a trust was broken. So they never go into relationships again because, quote, I'm not going to be hurt. That's also a disaster. Or in leadership, you know, same thing. You, you, make, you, you become vulnerable, you get nailed. And of course, then you put on this armor that never gets broken again. 
And so that's tricky. So vulnerable means you are vulnerable with people you can trust. And sometimes you learn who you can trust or not trust by actually being hurt. Yes, you're um, quite right. There's no question there is risk in being um, telling your stories and being vulnerable, being emotionally vulnerable as well. But let's get back to leadership, okay? And what we talk about in leadership is what we call courageous leadership. And that's why it takes courage to identify your inner stories, right? That might be holding you back. That's why it takes courage to be able to tell those stories and to open up because there is a risk factor and there is a risk factor about getting hurt. So I can also say though, if people who have that armor on and aren't telling their stories and aren't being themselves, what are they risking? They're risking the benefit of, of getting involved with great relationships, of building trust. They're losing a whole aspect of their lives that from a personal perspective hurts, but in their professional lives, if they want to develop as leaders, people are going to see through that. So I think, yes, there is a risk involved, but again, all all I could tell you, I've been working with dozens of of professionals, of CEOs, C-suite executives, and now some athletes um, who are basically saying it's worth the risk because now I'm free. I'm free to be myself and others see that. And that's the uh, quickest route and and the surest route to develop as a leader. Right. No, I think learning how to be vulnerable is the essence of life. I mean, as far as being human. Now I do say by keeping the armor on, it actually works for survival, but it doesn't give you a very rich and full life. It doesn't give you rich interactions with other people and it trashes families, trashes employees and really hurts a lot of people. Just this full-on aggressive, angry mode works for survival, but not for a enjoyable life. And then of course, as you know, we've talked about the same energy that takes you up the hill, eventually takes you right down the other side with drug abuse, suicide, depression, all sorts of stuff happens because repressed emotions are actually more damaging than emotions you feel. So it hurts to feel, I agree, but it's actually more damaging to your body and life to actually repress all this stuff. But that's the part we're going to talk about in the second podcast a bit is, you know, how do you teach vulnerability? <clears throat> so I'm curious, um, I know you have lots of stories. I'm curious if you have a story to share with us about um, somebody you worked with as far as this whole idea of leadership. Because being vulnerable, by the way, I don't think is still sort of the standard way of people considering leadership. Yes, I, and, and you're right. And that's why the definition of leadership is, is changing. And I, and I will tell a, a story. It, it, it's a real life story. I was working with a, um, a company that was growing and I was working with their operations executive team. So you're dealing with people who basically took care of warehouses and finance and IT and, and these kinds of people who ordinarily are introverted and don't like to talk. But I have a process that I use and through visual stimuli, I ask people to tell their stories also from an emotional perspective. And the way the the photos work is that it lights up areas of the brain related to emotion and um, memory, enabling people to talk from a much more emotional perspective. So when I was working with this executive team of of 10, nine male and and one female, I gave them instructions. I want you to tell your real story. Uh, with emotions and showing some vulnerability. And David, I could tell you 10 out of 10 people looked at me like like I was this alien, like, what are you even talking about? Anyways, I gave them 20 minutes to prepare. And I said, okay, who wants to go first? 
And there was this uh, guy, his name was Roger, six foot four, big strapping guy, had worked with these people for a long time. And he stood up and said, okay, as you know, I've been seeing this um, woman for the last year and a half and we're in love. And everybody shook their head. And then he stopped and his lips started to quiver. And there was a, a teardrop or two that started to form um, in, in his eyes. And he said, what none of you know, this is the first time in my life at age 64 that I've actually felt love. And he started to bawl. You talk about showing vulnerability. Well, how did other people react? All nine other people came over to him and hugged him. And um, it was just an incredible moment that these people who have worked together for such a long time, there was somebody to this introverted left brain group of executives opening up and the results were amazing. And I talked to him after, he felt great about it. His teammates, uh, teammates felt great. And one by one, David, they started telling their own stories and opening up. One ge gentleman was um, from Lebanon and he told the story. He had never told this, but at age six, his parents in Lebanon were killed in the war. Wow. And everybody just gasped. And then he said, we moved to Africa where I lived in abject poverty, was able to escape to uh, Canada. And uh, anyways, he started telling that whole story, how he made it. And again, people were just, you know, so the bonding of this team over the course of a few hours was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Wow, that's an incredible story. Well, I would encourage you to, you have a, what, a monthly blog or a weekly blog? You have lots of material on your website, right? What's your website, by the way? It's myelinleadership.com, and I'll spell that. It's M-Y-E-L-I-N, the word leadership.com. And you do work all over the world, right? Don't you do a lot of online work now, or is it mostly local there? No, I've, I've done uh, online work. I, I've done work in my leadership uh, career. I did work for the renowned Cirque du Soleil around the world, working with 30, 40 different cultures. So we do a lot of coaching work, a lot of team development work, a lot of work in the area of innovation. And as I said, the core of what we're doing now is neuro leadership, teaching people how, how their brains work and how to use that to better lead themselves and others. And the results are just uh, spectacular. Yeah, and, and these are you, these are things you do online also? I mean, you can people do this online with you? Oh, yes. We, we've absolutely adapted to the online world, particularly okay. in, in the last year. Right. You know, we hold um, workshops every Tuesdays and Thursdays for an hour. It's online. And we've held workshops back east in New York, and they've been powerful workshops in person. We've been surprised that the virtual workshops, almost in some odd way, are almost more powerful I mean, people connect, but there's enough of a space that people feel more safe in a way. It's really interesting. We're just seeing, you know, the group setting, as you know, is the home run, but the group setting in the virtual world has been really fascinating to us. It's been powerful how fast people can turn around. Yeah, and David, and I, I felt kind of, I, I have two ways of looking at that. Yes, it, it does. It seems when your face is on a screen, there is kind of like more safety involved right. than if you're face to face. But the other side to the coin to me, there still still is nothing from people being together, the chemistry, the body language, 
all of that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I I have two perspectives on yeah, that. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. But I was surprised. I thought that the online stuff would not work at all compared to in person. So I 100% agree. But it's been surprising how effective it actually has been. So I'd encourage you. We just are barely. I spent hours talking to Robert, and he has many resources. He has lots of depth and knowledge. So we're just tasting a little bit of what he's talking about, and. What we're going to talk about in the next podcast with him is some of the tools he uses to teach vulnerability. And again, biologically and evolutionary wise, there's no reward for being vulnerable. And humans with language have the, have the luxury of being vulnerable, but it definitely is a learned skill and sort of the basis of a rich, full life, including effective leadership. So Robert, thank you very, very much for being on the show and uh, looking forward to the next next episode. Thank you, David. I'd like to thank Robert Paris for being on the show today and for explaining the concepts of neural leadership, including authenticity, vulnerability, and expressing emotions as a sign of strength. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.